there was this young man, and it was kind of a warm spring day, and there was an early harvest going on, the early wheat harvest, and um, he had just was really depressed and down and discouraged. He felt like a failure. He felt like a loser. He felt, uh, you know, timid and beat up by life. In fact, the point had come in his life where he no longer even hoped to thrive. I don't know if you've ever been there. He, he couldn't even muster up the hope to thrive. He was just trying to survive. That was his only goal. Just survival was his goal. And so he had been, you know, beaten up. He had been robbed. He had been, you know, shamed by, by bullies. And one day he has this, this pile of wheat that he needs to harvest and get the grain off the, the heads of the, the wheat. It's called threshing. And he's hiding in a wine press. Now, if you're not familiar with what a wine press is, it's like a big giant barrel that they actually throw grapes in and stomp it and make wine or juice out of that. And so it's big enough that he could hide in there. And he's threshing or beating the grain off the wheat. And he's hiding for fear of the enemy because he knows if the enemy sees him that they'll come and they'll steal his wheat. And he's just trying to get enough to survive. May beat him up, may kill him. They don't know. The enemies are many and vast around the area. And all of a sudden he has this ant- angelic visitation and this angel comes up to him and says greetings mighty warrior the lord is with you and he says this is my paraphrase he says i think you've come to the wrong guy he said i got a couple problems with that he said first of all if i'm a mighty warrior what am i doing hiding here for fear of the midianites You know, trying to get a little grain, just have a little food to eat. And if the Lord is with us, why are we in such a mess? Where is this God that my ancestors told me about, that with a mighty hand delivered them out of Egypt from all the enemies that surrounded them? Where is this God? He said, said, "If if you look for the bottom of the barrel in Israel, you'll find me, this young man said. My tribe is the least of the least in all the tribes of Israel. My family is the least family in the tribe. And I feel like I'm the least person in the family. And you could not have stepped any lower than when you stepped up to me. So I'm confused by the greeting, mighty warrior, the Lord is with you. And the angel says, Gideon, the Lord has an assignment for you. You are going to go wage war against the Midianites. Now, I want you to know this. If you read the story, you find it in Judges, the sixth chapter. If you read the story, the, the Bible declares that the Midianites were like locusts over the land, and their camels were uncountable, innumerable, and they were a massive army. And he said, you need to go fight this battle for the Lord. And Gideon basically said, I don't have the strength. I don't have the ability. I don't have the connections. I don't have the power. I don't have what it takes. And listen to what the Lord said. Go in the strength that you have. What little bit of strength do you have? That'll be enough. Because we learn the battle's not ours, it's the Lord's. But he needs an agent. He needs somebody. And they say, does he? Well, he, he gave dominion on the earth to human beings. And he called us into the kingdom to do his bidding. And so we are to go in the strength that we have. And it's fascinating that when you look at the Bible stories, 
when you look at the lives of people who have done wonderful things for God, it's fascinating to look at that and see that oftentimes they were the least of the least, especially even in their own mind. But it's amazing what God can accomplish through somebody who will just say okay, who's just crazy enough to dare to do what God called him to do. If you read on about the story, he's going to cut down an Asherah pole, which was an idol, and he's going to bring down the Baal, the statue of Baal. And let me tell you how courageous he is. The Bible says he snuck out and did it in the cover of darkness. That's how brave he was. But you know what? I, I say kudos to you that you went and did it. He at least went out and did it. He did it in the cover of darkness. And the next day, all the people were mad. And they found out it was Gideon. And they said, bring him out here. He's talking to his dad. We're going to take care of him. We're going to kill him for what he did. He cut down the prophet. The dad was wise. He said, are you going to fight Bell's fight? If Bell's a god, he can take care of Gideon on his own. And they thought about it and thought, that's true. And so they left it in Bell's hands. And guess what? Gideon didn't get killed. Interesting what God can do with somebody who will dare believe God. Now, I do want to say a little side note. God has no obligation to cause us to succeed in things we've made up in our own mind. You know, if we have our, you know, I'm going to be the greatest this or the greatest that. Well, maybe you are, but if it's just your own making, God has no obligation to fulfill that. But there's all kinds of things that we're called to do that can be huge in the kingdom of God if we dare do them. There's, they sound simple, but they're very mighty. How about this? What would happen if everyone who called themselves a Christian on planet Earth cultivated the fruit of the Spirit. Now, if that's a foreign term to you, if you look in the New Testament, the Christian scriptures in Galatians, the fifth chapter, there's something called the fruit of the Spirit. I like how it's called fruit because, you know, fruit doesn't just pop on the tree full grown and mature. It's a bud, it's pollinated, it it starts small, and then finally over time it matures. So I think it's really neat how God used the term fruit. And if you look at the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5, it's love and joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and meekness, and faithfulness, and self-control. Nine specific fruit. What would happen on planet Earth if everybody who named the name of Jesus said, you know what, I don't know if i got some global ministry to do. I don't know if I'm going to be famous. I don't care. I'm going to at least do what I know to do, and that's develop the fruit of the Holy Spirit in my life. I can cooperate with God in that. What would happen if every one of us who call ourselves Christians would wake up every day and say, I'm going to live today in love. I'm going to act in kindness. I'm going to give hope and encouragement to those who need it. I'm going to be courageous enough, yet respectful, but I'm going to be courageous enough to let the light of Jesus shine out of my life at work, school, play, neighborhood, wherever. I'm I'm going to have the conviction to live a godly, holy, upright life before a broken world. I'm going to do that with the help of the Lord. You know, those things would be huge. Those are life-changing, world-changing things that followers of Jesus should be doing. And so I'm not opposed. If God wants to use you in a global way, that's cool. But let's start right where we're at right now and see what God does with that. So we're going to talk about today about being enabled with the power of God. We're, We're plugged up, we're sourced up, we're resourced We're energized by the power of God. Now, I haven't told you this for a few months probably, but I will circle back to it with regularity. I want to remind everyone here that Christianity is super 
supernatural. Did you hear that? It's supernatural. It's not natural. If, if we could be right with God naturally, there'd be no need for God to have wrapped himself in a human body and come to earth and become the savior of the world because we could do it on our own. If we didn't need God's help, we'd just go do whatever on our own. It's not natural, though. It's supernatural. Now, sometimes, and I'm wired up this way, but sometimes we like to um, think about things just being cerebral, logical, you know, rational. And, and I'm kind of wired up that way, too. But I do want you to know, I totally believe that Christianity is logical and rational. But I also want to say this, the mind behind it, God, is so superior, so huge, that we can't get our minds around his mind. You could gather a panel of the greatest, smartest, most intelligent people on planet Earth, and they would have the intellect of a worm compared to God. That's how big our God is. So I want to be careful that you nor I ever get this arrogance that says, if I can't figure it out, if it can't make rational sense to me, then it can't be true. That's interesting. So you're saying that you or myself were the most intelligent people on planet Earth or in the galaxy, in the universe? We're not. God is. God is brilliant. And so we need to yield to God's wisdom. There's a, a point where Job, if you've ever read the story of Job, Job's, Job had a rough way of going. People say at the end, I've heard people say, yeah, but he got double everything. Well, okay, but there's a lot of heartbreak and pain that went through that process. And at one point, Job challenges God and says, what are you up to, man? He said, this makes no sense. It doesn't seem just. It doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem like it's a good plan. It's a good purpose, any of that. And God answers him. And I, I think you, you'll find if you look it up. I think it's Job 38, 39, 40 where God speaks to Job and says something like this as he starts it, that who is this that darkens the plan of God? Who is this that speaks without knowledge? He said, well, you know, saddle up because we're going to talk, I want you to talk like a man here. And he begins to tell him, it's powerful chapters on all this. But bottom line is this, God says to Job basically two things. Where were you? And how did I? So he says, hey, you know, you got all this knowledge. You want to talk to me as peers, as equal peers? Okay, just answer a couple questions. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the world? And how did I lay the foundations of the world? Oh, by the way, Job, where were you when I hung the stars in space? And by the way, how did I do it? And he goes on, about a third of the way through, Job says, okay, I am insignificant. I've spoken once, twice. I'm not going to speak anymore. I put my hand over my mouth. He said, I'm insignificant. He gets the idea that we are nothing compared to God. But isn't it so cool that God loves us so passionately? And God loved Job. But he did let Job know, you don't know it all. And I guess we know that down the side, but we need to be reminded of that, that we don't know it all. And so we have to Trust in God's wisdom and his plans and his purposes. And we have to understand as much as we can what the word of God reveals about God. Not, not what your emotions, not what your circumstance, not what your situation. I mean, I get confused when I see that Peter preached his first message. And I think it's like 3,000 men, not counting women and children, gave their lives to Jesus. First message. Stephen 
preached his first message and got stoned to death. I mean, I'd go, wow, what's up with that? But I'm not going to say, God, you don't know what you're doing. Because he would say, who is that that dares darken the wisdom of God? Who is that who speaks without knowledge? I don't have knowledge why all that happened. But we can trust God. And we can trust and see, what does the word say? Because I do know this, the devil loves to contort things in your life with lies and and old wives' tales and superstitions. And he'll even pervert the word if you don't know it well. So I want to encourage us. Let's know what the Word of God says. But there's a couple questions I want us to answer today. First one is, how do I receive the power of God? Do you remember last week we talked about that we have plans and purposes this year, that we're going to grow in God. We're going to be everything he's called us to be. But we wanted to make a plan to thwart the plans of the devil because there are satanic hindrances that want to thwart what God wants to do in us and through us. And Paul said, I'm not ignorant of his plans, his devices, or his schemes, Because if I am ignorant, he will outwit me. He will take advantage of me. And so I'm not going to be ignorant of it. And so we need to find out, we need to move in the power of God. And so two questions I want answered. How do I receive the power of God? That's one thing we're going to cover today. And two, how do I use or activate the power of God? Well, let's dig right in. Matthew 28, I'm not going to read all of 18, 19, but that's the, the whole passage there. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, go. Now, it's one of those passages that we could say, oh, that's great for you. you know, all authority in heaven and earth is given to you, but what about me? But it's implied in the verse that that authority has been delegated to us. That's what the therefore is there for. It's to tell us, in light of this, since this is true, what? Since all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto Jesus, therefore, since this is true, now you go. Because I've delegated authority and power to you. You can go in strength. You can go in the victory of Jesus. It's delegated to us. And Ephesians 3.20 lays it out beautiful. It says, Now unto him, God, who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that's at work where? Within us. His power, that's at work within us. So whose power is it? His power. Where is it working? In us. So according to his power, he's able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask, think, or imagine. How? According to his power. Now, I've said that before. We, we, if we stop there, we'd be totally fine with the verse. Yeah, God can do more than we can even imagine by his power. That's a work within us. Oh. I want you to make it personal. That God is able to do immeasurably more than all you can ask, think, or imagine according to his power that's at work within you. Because I've discovered that I can hide in the us. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, that's right. Man, this church is going to go do something for God. Yeah, so what are you going to do? Well, I'm not going to do nothing. I'm just going to, like, cheer the church on. (laughs) Well, his powers at work within you. And you have an assignment from God, too. Which isn't anything to be nervous about. something to be joyful and excited about. So his powers at work within us. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, it says, But we have this treasure... In jars of clay. Now, when I read stuff like that, I say, what's the treasure? Well, if you read before that, it'll tell if the treasure is the knowledge of Jesus, the light of Jesus. It is salvation. Salvation's powerful. Paul said, I'm not, I'm not um, ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, for it is, the gospel is the power of God. It's the power of God unto salvation. So we have 
knowledge of Jesus, the light of Jesus, we have salvation, we have this treasure, and this treasure, it says we have it in jars of clay, King James says earthen vessels, you know, in, in, a, in a clay pot, that's referring to our bodies, our humanity, we hold within our beings this incredible treasure to show that this all-surpassing power is from whom? From God, not from us. But apparently, we're showing some kind of power. And people are like, what? What's, what's up with that? And they'll say, I know them. They're just ordinary people, exactly. We're ordinary people. So when they see this power, they should be saying, wow, this isn't theirs. This has to be from God. This all-surpassing power. Remember the power that does immeasurably more than all we can ask or think? This all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. So apparently we're working in some kind of power that just kind of boggles people. But see the beauty of it? It points them to Jesus. It points them to the Lord. Now, here is an assignment that God gives to 72 or 70, depending upon your translation. In Luke 10, 17 through 20, it says the 72 or the 70 returned with, can, you, can everybody see that word? They returned with what? Joy. They returned with joy. They are on a volunteer assignment. Jesus has assigned them. They have agreed to go on this assignment. They're going on this assignment. After they've completed the assignment, they return with joy. So I just want you to know, your volunteerism should not be, oh Lord, I hope they never ask me to do that again. It should be something that energizes us and causes us to have joy. And so they return with joy. We're not going to read this, but later, just a few verses past this, the Bible says, and Jesus, full of joy, praise to the Father. So there's a lot of joy going on here. The 72 return with joy, and they say, Lord Jesus, even the demons submit to us in your name. Remember last week, we were talking that we have authority, and we need to exercise authority over the demonic to grow in God and do what God's called us to do. And this is, this is the Bible. This isn't some crazy cult teaching. This is just what the Bible teaches. We're seeing here. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. He replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome how much of the power of the enemy? All. All the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in your eternal life. The battle that we have, the spiritual battle, will be a temporary one, but our eternal life in Christ is forever. So rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And by the way, it's because your name is written in heaven that you have power. You don't have it until it's written in heaven. It comes from Jesus. Jesus is the source. Now, if you say, I wonder what their assignment was, well, Jesus gave this assignment to the 12 disciples and to the 70 here. He gave the assignment. So we'll see what the assignment was in Matthew 10, 7 through 8. As you go, he sent them out two by two. As you go, proclaim this message, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Jesus was on the scene. The kingdom of heaven was there, was present. Our message would be slightly altered because Jesus has come. He has lived a sinless life. He's died the death we deserved. He's risen from the tomb. He's king eternal forever. He becomes our savior. So our message is what's called the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that salvation comes through Christ Jesus and Christ alone. So that would be the message we proclaim. Now that's a little nerve-wracking to some people. If I said, hey guys, 
This week, I want every single one of us to go out and proclaim the message of Jesus, salvation in Christ. You know, do it at work, school, play, neighborhood, marketplace, wherever you're at. Let your light shine. Some of us will go, okay, oh, that's a little nerve-wracking. Okay, well, look at the rest of their assignment if you think that's nerve-wracking. Heal the sick. Okay. Raise the dead. Uh, Okay. Cleanse those who have leprosy was an incurable disease. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be a little intimidated if Jesus showed up today and said, okay, I want you all to go out and share the good news about me and raise one dead person, okay? Can everybody go do that? It'd be like, uh, okay. But we have to trust him. Is God capable of doing that? Sure he is. So this was their assignment and the assignment that they went out and did. And said, freely you've received, now freely give. I want to talk about this power. The King James in, in Luke ten nineteen actually reads like this. It says, Jesus said, for I have given you power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means harm you. So it uses power in both places. That's a great translation. Authority is a little clearer, but neither translation is wrong, but newer translation will use authority. I want to show you why they use that, but also why I have no problem with power. But we're going to look at power defined. The first power mentioned, or authority, is the Greek word exousia. Now, by the way, I'm not a Greek scholar. Uh, I, I don't speak Greek, read Greek, but what I can do is I can study. And you all can too. So you could, anything I've discovered here, you could discover as well. The word exousia in Greek means power to act, authority, empowerment, or delegated authority. Power has been delegated to you. I mean, if you became a police officer or a military person, there was a time before, maybe the day before, that you didn't have this delegated authority, but you stand in a, in a service somewhere, and there's a commissioning, and now all of the authority of the police force or the military is now yours. It's been delegated, placed upon you. I mean, the day before, if you pulled me over and said, I'm going to give you a ticket for speeding, I said, based upon what? Because tomorrow, I'm going to be a police officer. Well, check me out tomorrow, okay? But not today. You don't have that authority today. So here we have exousia, power to act, authority, empowerment, or delegated power. And then there's dunamis, which means miraculous power, or might or strength. Also means just brute might or strength. Have you ever seen, like, the world's strongest people things? I mean, these, these they don't look like bodybuilders. They're, they're like cornbread farm-fed, you know, people, and man, they are strong, and stuff they do is just amazing. That is dunamis, more like dunamis. It's raw, brute strength that they have. And here, Jesus says, hey, church, I have given you authority. I've given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions. I've given you authority over all the power all the dunamis, the raw brute strength of the enemy, I've given you authority over it. Now, in case you're saying, I'm not quite getting my mind around that, we all know this, we've all experienced this. Have you ever been driving down a highway, and you look ahead, and there's road construction going on? Everybody been in that situation? Okay. Some of you who were 12 raised your hand, you shouldn't be driving. Okay, wait a little bit. And so, you've seen that. And when you see road construction ahead, you always get frustrated, don't you? 
because you're in a hurry. You ain't got nowhere to go, but you're in a hurry. You know, you gotta, I got to get going. And so you know there's going to be a delay, and you wonder, wonder how long that delay is. So out comes somebody. We'll say it's a, really doesn't matter if it's a 120-pound girl or, or one of those, you know, world's strongest people. We'll, but we'll say in this illustration, there's, there's a 130-pound young lady that steps out there, and she's got a plastic sign. And on one side of the sign, it says what? Stop. And when she spins it, on the other side, it says what? Slow. Exactly. You guys are good. Okay. So we've all seen this. And so there's road construction ahead. We'll pretend you're a trucker. You're driving in an 18-wheeler. We'll say you're loaded up. Your full weight's about 60,000 pounds. That's 30 ton. You're heading down the road. And this, this lady steps out there with a plastic sign and holds up a sign that says stop. What do you do? You stop. Yeah, some of you are going, eh, I don't know. Yeah, you stop. Do we understand, I don't care how big or strong you are, that nobody is going to win with a 30-ton semi coming at them if they're just going to get in a battle of raw power? It, the semi has dunamis power. The gal with the plastic sign has authoritative power. And you'll hear that truck grind down through the gears and come to a halt. And it will stay there until she spins the sign to slow and gets out of the way and the truck will go on. The, the gal with the sign is exercising exousia authority and can control the dunamis power of a 30-ton truck because of the authority that is in them. So how, how do we get this power? It comes from God. It comes by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's deposited in us by the Holy Spirit. And so we should ask God for the infilling and empowering of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now there's some things that's happened over the last few decades that's been kind of helpful. First of all, if you talked about the Holy Spirit, you know, 30 years ago, you had to be Pentecostal or charismatic. That's not true anymore. One thing I so appreciate about expressive worship is, again, 30 years ago, if you were expressive in worship, then you had to be charismatic or Pentecostal, but, you know, you can turn on Andy Stanley and see his worship, and it's vivacious and live and everything. There's expressiveness in worship, and so I appreciate that. But when you talk about the Holy Spirit, you think, well, well am I going to speak in tongues, or is, what's going to happen if I ask for the power of the Holy Spirit? First of all, who cares? Ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. Ask for his empowerment. And we say, but I don't want to be charismatic or Pentecostal. That's okay. And by the way, just so you know this, there's, there's the Pentecostal and charismatic denominations, there's about 300 million people on planet Earth who are charismatic Pentecostal denominations. It's, it's second only to the Catholic Church. And by the way, there's probably, this is not a, st- a statistic that I've studied. It's just my supposition. There's probably that many more, probably another 30 million or 300 million on planet Earth who have had a charismatic or Pentecostal experience, but they belong to a Baptist church, a Methodist church, a Catholic church, a Presbyterian, Lutheran, or Nazarene church, and so they don't get counted in that number. And so you're not really, if you've had that experience, as weird as you might think you are, as weird as your friends tell you you are, uh, that actually goes on all over the globe. So when we say, how am I going to get this power? We look at Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is speaking. Now, I want to digress for just a second because the people who are in this room have encountered the resurrected Jesus one other time 
at least one other time. They were, this is what the Bible says, they were hiding in the upper room out of fear of the Jews. And Jesus, through locked doors, comes and stands in their midst, and he says, peace be with you, peace be still, be at peace. And then he says something really interesting. He, the Bible says he breathes on them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. You can look this up yourself. Breathe, he breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Spirit. And it's my belief from what the text says that they receive the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say in there, well, that didn't work very well, or, well, they didn't get it. They received the Holy Spirit. And then to these same people, Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, but you will receive, what's the next word? Power, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So the Holy Spirit's in them, but the Holy Spirit is to come upon them. When we give our lives to Jesus, the scripture teaches that he comes to live in us. And there's deposited within us the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we ask people to go to the waters of baptism. I point this way because there's a baptismal tank behind there. And we baptize them. And we baptize them and the water comes upon them. Now, I joke about it, but I really mean this. When I baptize people, I don't want water to get in them. I just want them to be engulfed with water. I don't want them to swallow or sputter water. Now, is water good for us to drink? Yes, water's good for us. Water's healthy. Little, little health side note. Drink more water, people. Okay, you need to drink more water. So drinking water's fine, but that's not what baptism is about. You're to be immersed in, in water, and it symbolizes being buried with Jesus and risen to newness of life. And so here they have the Holy Spirit in them, but Jesus said the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. Now, what's the goal of the Holy Spirit coming upon them? Is it so they can say, hey, you know, I'm, I'm free for bookings now. You know, you saw how powerful I am and how wonderful I am. I'm free to come minister at your church or wherever. No. Or, hey, you want to read my next book because you can tell how powerful I am. No. The power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you so you can be what? Witnesses. So you can witness. You can tell people about Jesus everywhere. Jesus says, you're going to tell people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, Samaria, all over the world. So that's the reason for the power of God. And the power of God, I'll make a quick little side note. There was a sorcerer who the Bible says, I've twisted it every way, and it says he gave his life to Jesus. You can read it for yourself in the book of Acts. And at one point, he sees the power of the Holy Spirit operating through the disciples, and he says, give me this power so that the people I lay hands on will receive the Holy Spirit. And he gets a serious, serious rebuke. He said, there's evil hidden in your heart. And he, it's a really strong rebuke because he basically is saying, not, may I have this power so I can bless people? He still ate up with his old way of life. I want to be seen as the powerful one. And that's not the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Now, will we do powerful things? I hope so. And for what purpose? To point people to Jesus. That's the purpose. And so how do we activate this power? Well, we activate it by believing and by living and acting in faith. Which means that we do what God asks us to do, even when we feel weak, even when we feel insufficient, even when we feel incapable, we trust God that he will show up when we step out in faith. Just like God told Gideon, go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that you have. So, In Acts chapter 
1, Jesus tells, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, the power of the Holy Spirit is poured out upon them. In Acts chapter 3 and 4, there's a guy at the gate beautiful who's healed, who's never walked a day in their life. The people are rejoicing. The religious leaders are angry because he was healed in the name of Jesus. They bring Peter and John in. They, they really want to treat him harshly. They want to beat him, imprison him. I don't know, maybe want to kill him, but they're fearful because the crowd's so massive and there's no way of denying that this was a supernatural healing. So what they do is they give him a tongue lashing and they give him many, many threats. And in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John come back and say, you know, after many threats, they release them and then here's what happens as they're praying. And now, O oh Lord, hear their threats. Now there's two main things. They said, don't do this. Quit preaching the word about Jesus. And stop performing signs and wonders and miracles. Stop it. And they said, you judge for yourself whether it's right to do what you say or what God says. And so here it is. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. I love this verse. Stretch out your hand to heal. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer... The meeting place shook. Now, if we did some history, we'll find when the power of the Holy Spirit came in Acts chapter 2, the place shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. There's a shaking in Acts chapter 2, and these same people are being shook again in Acts chapter 4. And so I was thinking, it wouldn't be a bad idea if we got up every day and said, Lord, empower us with the Holy Spirit. Empower us with your Holy Spirit so we can be your witnesses wherever we go. Empower us so we can be your witnesses. There was a, a gentleman who was out walking the streets, not Pentecostal or charismatic at all, because, um, again, we, we, we make this a charismatic or Pentecostal thing. Um, he was a Wesleyan, actually, young man. He was out just street witnessing, and um, somebody said, I have this horrible back pain. And he thought, why not? Let's pray for his back. And so he prayed for his back. Now, I want to remind you of something. I was raised in a church where we believed in prayer. We believed God could do anything. We didn't think he would, but we believed he could do anything. And we would pray for sick folk, and every now and then somebody would get something, and no one was more shocked than we were when they got it. So that's kind of what happened. This guy prays for this guy. This guy's miraculously healed. And when he's miraculously healed, guess what happened? Every one of them were open to the gospel. People were saying, pray for me. I got this bad elbow, I got this hurt knee, I got this, I got that, pray for me, pray for me. All of a sudden, this gang of people who wanted him to shut up and go down the road now wants to hear about Jesus. What happened? The signs, wonders, and miracles were a dinner bell for people to hear the gospel. You'll see that all through the book of Acts. When a crowd gathers because the guy who was born lame is now walking and leaping and praising God, they say, why do you look at us as if we did some strange thing? It's this Jesus. And then they preach Jesus, and they tell people about Jesus. Wouldn't it be nice if we just did things like that? And the whole goal is not, yeah, I'm pretty wonderful, aren't I? I'm pretty incredible. You know, buy my next book. No, it's so that people can hear about Jesus, and they preach the word of God with boldness. Now, if you're like me, you don't like it so much that you've got to step out in faith and just trust God to meet you. We kind of are wired up that we want to have some mystical, magical moment where when all of a sudden, oh, we're fearless. All of a sudden, 
we feel so capable and able. And now we can go do what God's called us to do. I want to let you know on some sad news. That rarely happens. We are just constantly going in the strength that we have. And so we look for those moments, but we have to cover our lives with prayer. And we have to cover our lives with obedience. And we learn and grow as we go. I don't like that plan either. I like to be empowered with courage and boldness and and ability and capability before I ever step out the door. But we step out in faith. We go in the strength that we have. And we think that these disciples just had great courage. Do you know why they were asking God for courage in Acts chapter 4? Because they didn't have it. You don't ask for something you already have. I have gasoline in my car. I'm not praying that God will help me get home and have enough gas. But when we were younger, we did some ministry trips and we prayed. Lord, made the gas in our tank get us all the way home. Why were we praying that? Because we had no other resource to get it but God. They're praying for boldness because they don't have it. I know this may blow you away, but the great apostle Paul said, pray for me that I may have courage to proclaim the gospel fearlessly as I ought. Why did he pray that prayer? Because he needed courage. He needed boldness. He was lacking it. He was a person just like you and I are. And God says, step out of faith. So we take our successes and we learn from them. We take our failures and we learn from them. We take our wins and we learn from them. We take our losses and we learn from them. And there's no other way I know how to do it than that. And I know it may not be the most exciting answer for you. I want something magical. Well, that's our magic, you know, to obey God, to step out in faith. And that's how all of life works. You grow in life. When... when our son Mitch got a job. He said, I don't know what I'm doing. Well, he did, but he had to grow and learn. I remember working at a place when I was 20 years old, and I'd been there about six months, and they hired a guy, and I knew the guy. He, he, he was about 40 or 45. He had been in the business world, and he took over an entire department of that company, and within three days was leading it like he had worked there for 20 years. And I remember I marveled at that. I said, I've been here six months, and I can't figure out how to put people on hold yet with the phone. And he's running an entire department. Well, you learn, and you grow, and you develop. And that's what he had done over those previous 20 years that equipped him and made him capable. Now, I promise you, if you ask him, he'd say, I I don't feel capable. But he was because he had grown and he had developed. So when we say we're incapable, we lack strength, hear the word of the Lord whispered in your ear this week. Go in the strength that you have. I'll meet you. Go in the strength that you have. That's always been God's plan. He said to Gideon. He said to Moses. Moses said, I'm not your guy. I'm telling you, I'm not your guy. And he said, what do you have in your hand, Moses? He said, a staff. He said, that'll work. Me, you, and the staff will go liberate the children of Israel. Go with what you have. Do you remember Elijah's little widow woman? Elijah goes to her. There's a famine in the land. She has no family, no resources. Everybody's trying to survive. What's the chance of a widow woman? There was no government program. There was no food aid. There was nothing like that. And so Elijah came to her and said, what do you have? And she said, I have a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour. Well, what's your plan? Here's my plan. I'm going to take that little bit of oil and that little bit of flour, and I'm going to make two little cakes. I'm going to eat one, and my son is going to eat one, And then we're going to starve to death. That was the plan. Now, do you know what that 
crazy Elijah told her to do? Make me a cake first. Does that just not make you want to throttle the guy? Like, how dare you say that? <laughs> Can you imagine? And I, I can't imagine doing it, but somebody says, pray for my finance. And I say, well, what do you have? I'm down to my last $2. Give it to me. You'd say, what? But what happened was Elijah represented God. He was the prophet of God. And so she went in the strength that she had and gave to Elijah. And you, you, you probably know the story. Her oil and meal, flour, never ran out through the entire famine. She went in the strength that she had. She dared to trust God. And God did something huge in her life. See, we're all thinking something big, something spectacular will happen that will make me a man or woman of courage and power. But it rarely does. The secret is, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and us daring to obey God even when we feel weak. And God makes the difference. This is that constant pattern I mentioned before. Failing sometimes and growing from it. Succeeding sometimes and growing from it. And just maturing and maturing and growing and growing. And so with this information, I want to encourage me, you, all of us, let's put it into practice in our life this week. Let's put it into practice in our lives so we can grow in God. And put it into practice wherever our life takes us this week. Work, school, home, neighborhood, marketplace, wherever. Grocery store, restaurant, wherever, wherever life takes you. Just begin to practice this. Just begin to think, you know what? I'm on assignment. Holy Spirit, empower me. What do you want me to do today? How, 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 can, how can I be used by you? And then, most likely, the Lord will show you why don't you share some of your money with that person in need? Oh, man, I really don't have that much extra. Go in the strength that you have. Okay. Why don't you share Christ with that person at work? They've kind of been hanging around. I think it's time. You go, I'm not very good at that. Go in the strength that you have. Go in the strength that you have. You know, you know somebody at school that they don't feel well? Just say a prayer for them. And maybe even just personally, may, may, can I pray, pray for you? Oh. They'll probably make fun of me or mock me. Let me say this. And I'm, I know this is not encouraging. They might. So? I mean, really, I'm talking to me too. They're not dragging us out in the Colosseum and feeding us to lions. I mean, the most they might say, you want those prayer fanatic people. And then you'll feel crummy. You know how I know all this? I've done it all. You'll feel crummy. You'll feel awful. You'll say, I don't ever want to do that again. Please don't say, I will never do that again. Because you'll get that assignment like every day if you say that. Go share your faith. And you just go in the strength that you have. And you learn to be wise about it. You learn how to, how to grow in it. Like, I can engage a person with the gospel much better than I could when I was 15 or 18 or 20 because I've Develop, so just start developing, and God will use you. So let's put it into practice. Let's advance the kingdom of God in our lives and everywhere we go this week. Let's pray together.